Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. All right, hope your Thursday's going great. Sandy Max is here, so is Greg Matzik. Debbie Lazic has got your rose. Adam Roberts producing the show this afternoon. And what are we tracking this afternoon? This is the three. At three on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, Sandy. Number one, the Biden administration is looking to into taking action against China for the surveillance balloon sent over U.S. territory. Specifically, they're considering measures against Chinese entities linked to its military that supported the balloon's operations. These comments come at the same time that Congress is now getting classified briefings on the balloon, what we knew when we knew the balloon was in our airspace. And in a rare show of bipartisanship, the House of Representatives voted unanimously 419 nothing today to formally condemn China for its use of the balloon. How unusual is that? When Pearl Harbor was attacked, it was not unanimous that we declared war on Japan. That's an interesting piece of history. Hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. 419 today, 419-0 today to condemn China. What's the second, uh, second item? Two Wisconsin legislators are proposing a way to set up fishers for life yeah this measure would allow people to buy a fishing license for life the bill would let anglers make a long-term commitment to the sport about half of the states right now allow you to do this they have some form of a lifetime fishing license including illinois and minnesota this will not be cheap though this is how it's going to work right now it costs about 19 dollars to get a fishing license every year you will have to pay 30 times 19 to get your license they figure the average person will use it for about 30 years so you're going to need to write a check for 575 bucks if you want the lifetime license. But you can do it and be done with it. I'm interested how many people will do that because that's a lot of money. If you fish, are you going to plop down the 575 for the rest of your life, or you say, eh, "I'll pay, I'll pay 19 bucks this year and then figure it out next year." God, but if you, you know, with inflation, do you just go ahead and do that, knowing that the older <laughs> you get, it's going to go up to 25 bucks, yeah, it's going to go up point. to 30 at some point in 30 years? That's so. true. You know you love to fish and enjoy the outdoors. Go ahead. Plop it down now. Yeah. And what's the third thing? An acclaimed composer and songwriter behind dozens of pop hits has passed away. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Burt Bacharach. You may think you don't know his songs, but you do. That's a clip from Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. Greg Matzik and I were talking earlier, and Greg, you said you wouldn't even have known who ba- Burt Bacharach was if he didn't appear in that film. Hey, not at the time. Like, in the mid-'90s, that wasn't my musical preference, yeah. right? So yeah. Austin Powers helped me identify who Burt Bacharach was. But he's got an immense catalog of music. It's raindrops keep falling on my head. They long to be close to you. Say a little prayer. Walk on by. Do you know the way to San Jose? Oh, a lot yeah. of those songs that Dionne Warwick sang. But he's also behind That's What Friends Are For, that big, huge hit in the 80s. There's a lot of music that he's... And, and he continued to write like, with Elvis Costello. So he's... Yeah, they have an album coming out, actually. He and Elvis Costello mm-hmm. have an album that's set to come out uh, in early March. Eight Grammys... Three Oscars and a Tony. He won three Oscars. An impressive man passes away at the age of 94. So Elvis Costello was asked how he would describe Bert. He said the shorthand version of him is that he's something to do with easy listening. It may be agreeable to listen to his songs, but there's nothing easy about them. Try playing them. Try singing them. They are complex and simple at the same time. He made beautiful music. Bert Bacharach passes away today at the age of 94. 
It is 314 at WTMJ. The president is in Wisconsin again yesterday. What does that really mean for our state moving forward? Charles Benson, TMJ4 News, with us up next. Charles Benson is TMJ4's chief political reporter. We pulled him away from his work today. He's in the process of interviewing every candidate for the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Charles, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Great to be here. You know how I knew that President Biden didn't do any local interviews? Because you didn't talk to him yesterday. (laughs) Well, I was hoping. Yeah, we did put in a request. He did do a big interview. He sat down with Judy Woodruff with PBS. So I think that was his his big interview for the day. But it was an interesting visit. You know, he makes his first stop after the State of the Union speech, comes to Wisconsin, goes to Madison, Wisconsin. And I think what's interesting, if you look at the speech and you look at his message from yesterday, he's really trying to appeal to to the middle class and to middle America. One of the things I noticed he talked about with Judy Woodruff, uh, saying that the party has started to take for granted the ordinary blue the blue collar worker and a lot in his message was around infrastructure and trying to create these jobs through the infrastructure law that was passed a trillion dollars there and you know these job opportunities job opportunities by the way that he says will go to union and trade skill workers uh, but they're not college educated jobs and he thinks a lot more jobs around manufacturing and other opportunities um, can be created here with these uh, big dollars being spent on trying to improve the economy and infrastructure. And I'll point out one other thing. When you look at 2020 and the election of 2020, Joe Biden wins the state of Wisconsin by less than 1% of the population. Uh, the, The difference was less than 1%. But more importantly, look at Joe Biden takes 13 counties. He wins 13 counties. Donald Trump wins 59. Go back to 2008 when Barack Obama and John and John McCain were on the ticket. And this is the point I think the president is trying to make here. Barack Obama carries 59 counties. John McCain carries 13 counties. So in 12 years, that is completely flipped. So when you look at the state of Wisconsin, it does look like more red when you saw Donald Trump in 16 and 20. But when you see it in 20, in 2008, it was more blue. And I think the president is trying to make a case for appealing to more middle class voters. Now, Republicans, on the other hand, are going to say, hold, hold, hold on here, because they don't think he's delivering it when it comes to issues like inflation and how the costs of things are going up. So, Charles, you're familiar with the national electoral map and pathways to winning the presidency when it comes to that map. Is Wisconsin more important to Republicans or Democrats when it comes to who needs it more in their W column? I would say it's more important to Republicans just when you look at the math over the last 40 or 50 years. You know, it was only Donald Trump in 2016 who turned the state red for the first time since Ronald Reagan in the middle 1980s. Yet Republicans were still able to win the White House over time. Now it looks like a must-win state 
for a Republican to get into the White House. Not so much as a Democrat. But I go back to this messaging and sort of, you know, I mean, Joe Biden's roots, Pennsylvania, uh, and, and he sees the middle class. He sees union jobs. He sees manufacturing. And not that Donald Trump didn't either. I mean, he, he saw that as a big issue. So I, I think he's trying to bring the party around more. And Wisconsin is an example for him. He knows the two biggest blue counties here are Dane County and Milwaukee County, but he knows there's this big space out there in places like Middle America and Wisconsin that aren't voting Republican right now, and I think he's concerned about that. States are looking to move up their primary dates, Charles. There's a battle going on right now. Will New Hampshire and Iowa still be at the top or not? Wisconsin's primary for the presidency sits in April. Is that a good spot to sit? Is that early enough to be relevant? Um, it, that's a good question to be relevant. Uh, I don't think anybody sews up the process, has it nailed down, no chance. I mean, you look at, uh, in 2016, I'll go back to 2016. Uh, it was still an April primary and McCain and, uh, no, not McCain when, uh, Trump and, um, Ted Cruz, and the former Ohio governor, who escapes me now, uh, there were three candidates that were still running in 2016. The race had not closed. And Ted Cruz actually wins in Wisconsin and gives him this opportunity maybe to carry it all the way through the convention. So April is still in play. Uh, we've had it in February before, before in 2008 when Barack Obama uh, was on the ticket, Hillary Clinton as well. So I've seen it both ways. Um, and I, I don't know. Everybody wants to be the first, but I still think we become significant given what it could mean in the November election. Charles, as I mentioned, you're speaking to the candidates for the Supreme Court. This is pretty heated, even amongst the, and I use air quotes, conservative candidates. This is interesting. Yeah, and our interviews, though, are really more about them and the you know where they stand, how are they going to... Um, navigate this politically divided state and country that we live in you know we know there are two conservatives two liberals so how you know what is it that they will do uh and not so much telling me what they think the other person will do so so far our interviews have been about just where they stand on the issues but looking forward to talking with all four of them I think it's interesting that there's some comedy, there's some humor, I should say, introduced into the campaign with Janet Pro. I see, I won't even say her name right, and that's the ad that she's Protosavage. running right Protosavage, now. Yeah. Do you like the uh, yeah. Do you like the humor in the in the ad? I I think humor always works. It can break through, especially you know in in that area. How she's using that, people will remember, and and I do as well. Russ Feingold, I think, was able. He was a guy who was way behind in the polls when he first ran in the Democratic primary uh, against. I think um, it was. Um, Boy, these names just don't come to me as fast. But he was the in a third place race mm -hmm. in a primary. The first two uh, candidates, Democratic candidates, were going at it so viciously. And there was Russ Feingold in front of his garage, kind of talking about, you know, Wisconsin and where he stood on the issues. Uh, you know, Madison is right here, and he would hold up his hand, you know, look like on the palm of his hand. Madison's <laughs> here. This is where I am. I mean, he used humor, and it helped him. It did indeed. Charles Benson is the chief political reporter at TMJ4. We always appreciate when you're with us. Thank you so much, Charles. You're welcome. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. 
Southwest Airlines executives on the hot seat in the Capitol today. ABC's Alex Stone has been monitoring what's been going on for the last couple of weeks and today. Alex, good afternoon. Sean, hello to you. Yeah, so uh, today Southwest laying it all out there and uh, apologizing, saying sorry about that meltdown that uh, they claim started with bad weather and then everything fell apart from there. That uh, winter operations, they said, in places like Denver, they couldn't de-ice correctly. Uh, and then computer systems were not up to the challenge, and then everything fell apart, and they, they couldn't get back uh, get everything back together. So today, uh, in front of a, a Senate committee, saying they made a mistake, that they are working on it. Southwest Chief Operating Officer Andrew Watterson today saying, I want to sincerely and humbly apologize to those impacted by disruption. It caused a tremendous amount of anguish, inconvenience, and missed opportunities for our customers and our employees. It cost the airline about $800 million. Uh, still about 10% of those uh, passengers who were impacted have not gotten their refunds yet. And senators today tried to get them to promise that if bad weather rolls in again, that when you call Southwest, you'll get a human in a short amount of time, a reasonable amount of time. He said, look, I can't assure that, that, that if things go bad, and that there's a bad snowstorm, that we're going to have enough people to answer the phone in a couple of minutes. He said no, that, that they can't assure that. But um, he said, uh, though, Southwest tomorrow is upgrading its crew scheduling system, just by chance. It's happening tomorrow. <laughs> but, uh, they're going to get a whole new computer system. He says should be better. We prioritize enhancements for our crew scheduling software. We strengthened our early indicators dashboard to escalate operational issues earlier. And we established supplemental operational staffing that can quickly mobilize to support crew recovery efforts. But guys, today also we uh, we heard from the, the pilots. Uh, Captain Casey Murray, head of the, the pilots union at Southwest, says this was all poor management, that it turned into chaos. They had been warning management for years that Southwest was one storm away from everything falling apart, that they didn't have the IT, that they didn't have the scheduling system that they needed. He says the warning was there. First, Southwest leadership failed to properly prepare for Winter Storm Elliott. Second, Southwest managers failed to modernize crew management processes and related IT systems. Finally, Southwest failed to listen to the warnings of its frontline employees. Hey guys, a couple of things we learned today that about 500 Southwest flights that were canceled during all of this did actually take off to the cities where they were going. They were repositioning the, the flights, but they went empty with nobody on board. Imagine your flight's canceled and you see that plane push back and leave, and it goes to where you thought you were going to go. But they went with nobody on board. Uh, and then we also got to pictures today. We obtained uh, cockpit messages sent to the pilots at Southwest during all of this, asking who was flying the plane, asking them to send their employee number to confirm the pilots who were flying. Southwest, apparently, everything was so out of whack that they didn't have any idea where their crews were, wow. who was flying their planes. They were unable to contact pilots and flight attendants for days. And uh, so on the message, it was, tell us who's flying right now, essentially, and uh, give us their ID number. That is crazy. ABC's Alex Stone in L.A. Thank you, Alex. You got it. Thanks, guys. Up next, the man, Giacomo Faluca, the chairman of the board and CEO of Palermo's, is with us on National Pizza Day. Pizza time. Giacomo Faluca is the chairman of the board and the CEO of Palermo's, and he is with us in the studio on this National Pizza Day. Giacomo, thank you so much for being here with us. You're welcome. I was just texting my wife. No. <laughs> she she asked me to pick up here? dinner? Or what? No, she's like, I said I'm on. She was, oh, that's right. Like now? Yeah. 
Uh, let's start with the news that you're making today. This is exciting news for our region. Yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit of an expansion, more than a little bit. This is a very nice expansion. So I think um, the headlines is that um, we have been growing double digits over the past many years. Mm-hmm. And so we needed um, additional pizza capacity. We looked in the Milwaukee area. We could not find it. The volume is coming at us like fast and furious. Our, our team is doing an amazing job. Our sales and marketing and manufacturing team, they're doing an amazing job, but we just need more throughput. So uh, we're adding 200 new jobs between uh, Milwaukee, which is our Canal Street location, and our new location in Jefferson, in Jefferson Wisconsin. So it's a brand new plant um, that will be um, uh, beginning production sometime in June or July of this year. Two hundred jobs—that's great between the two locations. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, you've teamed up with a lot of really cool brands: Surfer Boy, Lineys, Funky Fresh Spring Rolls. We've talked about. Sure, sure. Uh, are you constantly evaluating new partnerships? I mean, people must be coming to you all the time, wanting to partner with you. Well, I think it's a two-way street. You know, we have. Um, one of the tenets of our company is is really good customer intimacy. We're close with our customers. And so by being close with our customers, we're able to talk through uh, innovations that are a year out, sometimes six months out. And through those conversations, partnerships come up, you know, like Surfer Boy at Stranger Things and some of the other ones that we work on. Yeah. So... So it's it's a combination of of them and us. It goes both ways. It does. I, I like knowing about the pizzas that didn't quite make it or that are still in the lab. I always think that's a fun conversation. I'd love to be involved in that stuff that you try that you think, man, I thought that was going to go well and it just didn't work, or something that maybe caught you by surprise that really took off. You know, um, one of the pizzas and I should you shouldn't have me here because I'll probably say the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> About the flavor profile, here we go. Your staff's getting very nervous right now. No, I know, I know. I was just talking to our whole R&D team. And by the way, today, being National Pizza Day, I am stuffed. I mean, we we tried, we had six, nine pizzas that we were testing. We were testing a new crust to these toppings, and and I had a birthday party to go to for one of our employees, and I came back, and they gave me two plates full of pizzas, and... Like, oh, that <laughs> just sounds awful. But, you know, um, <laughs> you're officially a connoisseur. Yes. Oh, yeah. And then, of You've course, I give them, them my opinions. See? And they're like, well, you know, you know, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I could impose my position and say, no, we're going to do this because it's such a pity product. But, like, barbecue chicken is one pizza that just has never done extremely well. You know, um, you either like it or you don't, but yeah. it's a popular restaurant variety. But on the pizza side, it just doesn't do as well as we would hope. But it's it's in demand from our customers. They want hmm. barbecue chicken pizza. We're having holy pepperoni right now, screaming Sicilian, oh, which is very, very good. Pepperoni from you it. guys is my favorite. The holy pepperoni screaming is unbelievable. Look at, it looks like a pizzeria pizza, doesn't it? It, it does. does. And does look at the amount of cheese and pepperoni on that pizza. It's unbelievable. What's more important, the sauce or the crust? Um, <clears throat> well, listen to that both. thoughtful silence. Both. 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 A bad sauce can ruin a pizza. Um, but there are a lot of good sauces. It's hard to make a bad sauce, but when someone makes a bad sauce, like, ugh. Um, <laughs> Was your very first sauce from a family recipe? Um, well, yes. I mean, my mom, you know, they because they, they're both farmers, my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad's passed away, but they made tomatoes. They would jar 
boy, I mean, like uh, 300, 400 jars of tomato sauce. Wow. Yeah. So we're used to just making them homemade, just like that. That's the good stuff. From, from, from the tomatoes. We, we had all these James Beard chefs, uh, nominated chefs, in last week. Mm-hmm. And I love asking them, you know, what's your favorite spice? And they usually just say salt or pepper. I mean, just something so basic and simple. If I were going to ask you your favorite pizza topping, is it simple? No. Simpler the better? Or do you like to go a little bit bonkers? My favorite pizza topping, and pizza is very Sicilian. Most Most of you would not like it. Um, it's Sicilian pizza with more of a crushed tomato sauce, <clears throat> Parmesan cheese, anchovies, and onions. Do you make that at home? Oh, that's bold. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. That sounds strong. Have you ever had anchovies? <laughs> no, not well. Yes, but not on a pizza. It's the most underrated fish out there. Anchovies and sardines, good source of vitamin E. I mean, it's <laughs> omega threes. It's a young fish. It's not as salty as you would think. So you get the Caesar, and you say, put the anchovies on, please. Yes. And then people at the table will give me their anchovies. I want to show you a picture. So <laughs> this is my phone. I sent you this picture yes. when I was in Hilton Head. Yes. This is a picture of a pizza case in my local grocery store. And I, I do this it. when I travel around the world. I, I love I, that. My wife thinks I'm crazy. I send no. you pictures like this. I love that. Okay. So how important is location within the freezer section? Well, it's everything. It's it's um, building a block of of um, you can see there with our primo thin and our screaming Sicilian. Having a block of our brands is really important. Now they should have had like primo down one <laughs> column and screaming yes. down another column. And eye level is eye level important or not really? Um, Would you rather have a it, row. It is, but we have to have four of each variety. So if we have <laughs> urban pie, four of those. Screaming, four of those. Primo, four of those. All you know, yes, yeah, so you got to have a block. Block, you got to build it. Yep, yep. We, I mean, sometimes we will talk to a retailer and say, Look, if we only have one or two varieties, we're not going to want one or two. We'll just say no because it just wouldn't, it's not going to sell. And then, and then they get discoed in 13 weeks and now we're out. So, you know, because space is a premium and it's expensive real estate and it's. You know that we're rock stars. Did you know that we're rock stars? <laughs> yeah, you're a rock star. <laughs> because it's like the rock stars. If you don't make the Billboard 100, <laughs> guess what? You are off the Billboard 100. <laughs> we got to be on those charts. And so yeah. every week our sales get scanned and you know we, yep. we really focus on how many units per store per week. And if we're in the wrong location and we don't sell or behind yeah. the pole, it's not They good. can bump you. They can move. So... How surprised would we be if we saw a list of all the private label stuff that you guys do, like pizzas that we buy and outlets that we go to that you end up making? Is it a lot? Is that a big part yeah, of your business? Yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. You know, um, and we pride ourselves. It's it's a it's a blessing and an operational curse because we have probably close to five hundred SKUs that we manufacture. So when you think about the different sauces and cheeses and meats. I mean, I was I was talking to R and D folks talking about barbecue sauce. I go, how many versions of barbecue sauce do we have? Seven. <laughs> just Seven. Wow. Just barbecue sauce. We probably have fourteen different types of pepperoni. Wow. Uh, we have a multitude of cheese toppings, sausage toppings, sausage topping styles and flavors. So it's it's just very unique, and it's I think it's what our company does really well. I mean, we're able to. Make a very complicated process. We're able to become efficient at it, even though 
it's very difficult. But those varieties is what I think separates us. Giacomo Faluca is the chairman of the board and the CEO of Palermo's. Congratulations on the expansion. Thank you. That's great for Thank our you. region. It is. You're so committed to Southeast Wisconsin. We, we appreciate are. that. Thank and you. Uh, thanks for bringing the pizza. Happy Good National stuff. Pizza Day. Yes. Happy National Pizza Day.